This episode is sponsored by Grow Therapy. Grow Therapy was founded on the belief that quality mental health care should be accessible. It makes finding an in-network therapist easy. Go to growtherapy.com to find your match and let insurance pay for your therapy. Welcome to a place where you'll leave feeling whole. The Counseling Podcast brings at-home counseling right to you, focusing on self-care, self-expression, and breaking down barriers. Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes bring over 20 years of combined experience and a new sense of style to the word counseling. The two use humor and lighthearted conversation to explore these deeper feelings. Let's take the stigma away from counseling together. Welcome to another episode of the Counseling Podcast. I am Dr. Jacqueline. I'm Dr. Stokes. We have another special guest with us today, Nicole Kleiman Reck a licensed mental health counselor here to talk about relationships. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So you work with couples and there are so many different challenges that people experience within a relationship. What have you observed as a common issue in your practice? I would say the most common issue that people, uh, that couples come into has to do with communication. It usually always starts out like we have a problem communication, you know, with communication. We just don't see each other eye to eye. Um, But it's funny because as you know, the more that we get into session and therapy, they come to realize that it's not the skill of communication, but there's usually a lot more that's built up over years or time that's underneath that we really get down to. And just curious, what do you, you know, kind of looking at it like an onion, as they say that analogy and that top layer being communication, once you peel that back in the sessions, what's, what starts to be those other layers underneath that, that you discover with your clients? Yeah, no, you're, you're, it's very true because on the, on the outside, when you think about just um, the development of any relationship is usually when we first meet someone, we see that outside layer of the onion, they see our best self. Um, maybe there's a little deception underneath it in a good way because we want to be liked, we want to be loved, we want to, you know, we want a relationship to develop. But, you know, hey, the honeymoon phase isn't meant to last forever, nor should it. So it's really when people get more comfortable with one another what I've definitely found is that they, while it's good to start seeing, you know, and showing who they truly are, it's also remembering that two people came from different backgrounds. Two people are very, very different. And it really takes a secure individual. Um, I know I talk a lot about differentiation also just in therapy and couples therapy, but it's being able to know that, hey, we can still love each other. We can still have very, you know, be very different. But do we both have that emotional muscle to listen to differences, to work differences out? Um, And that's really what's the deeper part of the onion. So when people see the stuff that they're not always in unison, some people get really scared and either want to flee or just tension develops because it's not addressed. Um, But it's also great when people say, hey, we can be, you know, we're different and that's okay. We can still work together. That's so true too, because I always tell my couples that you've come from different backgrounds, different childhood learned behaviors, core beliefs. And so you've learned your own communication style, your own coping patterns, and then you become in this relationship and you're taking that from each, you know, each learned behavior. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. And it's, you know, when I say communication, it's usually, it's funny because it's, it's always great. I, I always find a session great when both 
people, right? Both partners want to actually be there. You can always tell when one is kind of pulling the other one in and really doesn't want to be there. And there's that resistance because it really does take for couples therapy and couples work to be effective. It takes both partners. I know you hear a lot like 50, 50, but both partners really have to give a hundred percent or at least be willing to give a hundred percent. And I think the statistic is that it usually takes six years after relationships, after there's a problem that they actually seek counseling, which is way too late. And um, what I've definitely seen in the pandemic, especially is people are starting, I think maybe there's just more opportunity, but people are seeing the benefit of seeking therapy early on. You don't have to wait till you're on the brink of divorce to you know, start seeing someone for some problems. Um, while I think a lot can be handled without necessarily seeking therapy, there's certain times that just, you know, a third person can be very, very beneficial. And a lot of times it's that built up stuff. And one person then will come in and blaming and pointing fingers or even, you know, I feel like they want me to kind of take their side. Um, so while I feel like, you know, therapy, um, marital therapy or couples therapy is huge for the couple. It's also been growth for myself as well, because I think as, you know, therapists and clinicians, we all have our personal yeah, our personal thoughts, you know, we all have our own personal experiences. So it really comes down to and boils down to not being reactive with everything. For myself, I have to not be reactive with what I hear. Yeah, and we hear a lot, especially in couples therapy, and you make a lot of really good points, especially considering the fact that couples don't typically come into therapy until you mentioned it's been several years. However, it sounds like you're seeing a little bit of a cultural shift and folks are starting to come in a little earlier. And with that being said, what are you noticing that people are coming in with? And once you get through that communication barrier, what are some of those things? You mentioned personality differences. What are some of those other issues that you're seeing people wrestle with in their relationships? Yes, I think a lot of times when people even hear that I see couples, you know, in therapy, the automatic assumption is like, oh, it must be terrible, or one of them must have had an affair or a betrayal. But I will say that while that does happen, the vast majority, it comes down to being understood. You know, it comes down to one person saying, oh, my, you know, my partner's not communicating, my partner's not emotional, my partner's not tending to my needs. Um, I think a lot of times, I mean, with growth and the hustle and bustle of children and careers and all of that other stuff, that also just the importance of building friendship, I think is huge. I know um, I follow a lot, I, kind of two models I use is the developmental model of couples therapy with um, Ellen Bader and of course the Gottman method, which is probably the most popular, but it really comes down to the importance of building friendship. It's almost like if you have an argument with a close friend or a best friend, usually those arguments aren't that terrible, you know, not the worst things are said. Usually it's a focus on resolution. But a lot of times, if that friendship isn't there, if all of those, we call it the emotional bank account, right? If there's not deposits being made, it's really hard to get to a resolution. And it's really hard to um, resolve conflicts in a healthy way. And uh, so many couples just steer away from conflict, think it's the worst thing in the world. Whereas the people that really cherish conflict and don't see it as anything but something that's going to happen, you know, it's something that's inevitable. Those are the people that really see the uh, conflict or resolving it can be an opportunity to grow. And those are, those are the people that either have developed the skill set or put intention into the marriage. Yes, that's great. And I also, you, you brought up a good point of like when, they, when they're fighting. And I see a lot of couples that are fighting with each other rather than, you know, realizing that we're a team here and we need to work together. 
and not fight each other on because they really want the same goals. Like their end result is the same. We just need to help guide them to that goal and how to navigate through that conflict. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know what I, you know, I know a big part of therapy. I always say that it's a progression. I always kind of jokingly, but not so jokingly, because if they're both couples are there, I remind them that I'm not a divorce attorney. So the fact that they just made it to the session shows that there's all, even there's like the smallest amount, there's some sort of hope that's in there. So before even talking about interventions and stuff like that, I really try to assess the motivation and try to build motivation. You know, try to let them see, you know, actually just this morning, I had a couple that there, you know, there's so much love there, but I know one, one of, you know, the the guy in this situation just gets really emotionally flooded and gets upset and has such good points to make, but sometimes just doesn't say it in, in the best way. So I try to let him know, like, it's, it's hard, right? It's hard to not be heard. And when there's anger, a lot of times the other person's not even hearing. And then on the flip side, some people just have such a hard time staying in conflict that they just avoid saying everything and they keep it in. And that's just where tension builds over time. Yeah. And you most, you both make really good points, uh, you know, talking about the goals, of, of what relationships really want and kind of where both people are working towards something. And what I heard you mention earlier, Nicole, was is that people really just want to be understood and they want to be heard in their relationship, but there's such a big barrier to that. And, and you mentioned uh, your, your couple, the example that you gave and, and the gentleman being emotionally flooded. And so what, what happens when, when couples are fighting and you see this sort of thing? What's kind of a dynamic that will play itself out during a conflict? Maybe one that's in the, in the couple's therapy session that's happening right in front of you or even outside of the office. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times couples will come in and share something that's happened during the week. Um, and so we, and it's not so much, I always try to stress that it's not so much every individual thing that happened, but it's really the process, right? I try to focus on the system underneath. And there are times when I try, you know, sometimes I try to talk about, you know, we call it a gentle startup, right? How are you actually sharing what's, you know, what the problem is? How are you bringing it up? And when there's tension, I mean, one is I can only let them go so long. I, I know uh, people sometimes think that as a counselor, as a therapist, we were supposed to let the client lead. And well, I think it's a different dynamic when it comes to couples therapy and individual. I would say that's probably more the point when it's an individual therapy session. You know, I want them to lead and to share and then I'll obviously interject. But when there's two people and when I clearly can see you know, if I don't, if I don't step in, one person might be feeling that I'm just letting like abuse go on, right? Like emotional abuse or being put down. So I do think it's really the best time when that happens is to be able to say like, you know, to kind of hit the pause. I I explain that a lot of times, you know, the biggest thing I think for all of us, whether it's individually or in couples is we're very fast. And that's exactly what flooding is, is we just say things that we're going to later regret. I mean, it's even been shown like a heart rate above 100 beats per minute. People just make poor decisions, say things. So I just try to really emphasize how important it is to emotionally soothe yourself, right? So if, if you need a break, that's much better. Um, it's also up to that person to let them know when, you know, they're coming back to resolve things. Um, but I definitely just try to, you know, focus and apply and, and catch them. Like, are you being defensive? Is there blaming? Is there a better way to go about this? So I, 
I usually will try to ask questions just to see where they're at. Um, Because many couples, either individually or together, have received therapy in the past. So I try to see what is their skill set and maybe what's getting in the way of them using it. Or some of them just never really learn the skill set. And that's where I think a lot of psychoeducation can really play a role. But I think the most important thing is a lot of couples know a lot, but something happens in the heat of the emotion and that they forget to use it. So that's really the biggest thing that we work on. That's so important too, of them putting in the work when they leave your office. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times too, um, couples come in and one couple is expecting you to like fix their partner. Like, here's my partner. This is what's wrong with our relationship. Fix them. And it's really, well, how are you both putting in the work? How are we both going to fix our relationship? So it's not lopsided of this person, you know, blaming the other person. Yeah. And I think, no, that's definitely huge. And I think instead, I try to kind of flip the norm, so to speak, um, because a lot of times it is, it's the badgering back and forth and they're talking about what's annoying them with the other person. And, but instead it's like, well, what do you actually want? You know, ideally, what would you want? You know, he, she, it could be he, he, I mean, it's all sorts of couples, but what do you ultimately want the other person to do for you? And and I always try to say that it doesn't have to be a need because just using the word, like, I need you to do this can put a lot of pressure on, but because I also want to give the other person the right to say no, that they don't want to do that, or they're not comfortable. And that's kind of the art of compromise. But I kind of like have them talk about what is important because the, uh, the bigger the conflict, you know, usually, if not all of the time, the bigger the desire underneath, um, the bigger the level of importance. But people are so angry that they don't really hear the need. And a lot, a lot of times the ex, the ex, uh, they don't express, and here I said need, but they don't express the want or the desire or why an issue is important to them. So I let them know like you're not being heard. And uh, you know I think it just comes down to that artificial anger that's just built up and they're only getting it out there rather than really listening. Yeah, and a lot of times it's the, and you alluded to this, that, you know, particularly the argument that the couple may be having in the therapy session has very little to do about the argument. I had a couple last week who was arguing, they were arguing about breakfast that they fed their kids and they wanted mm-hmm. to spend, you know, a half hour talking about breakfast and it's not about the breakfast, right? It's right. about that, it's about that meaning underneath that and it's about that process. So it sounds like you as a couples counselor, you're kind of you're on the outside looking into this very specific process that has a lot of deeper meaning to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that analogy. I always say it's never about the dirty dishes. So kind of kind of the same thing, but it's a lot easier, right? Whether it's the breakfast or the dishes, it's a lot easier to talk about that. But those are the things that just keep getting brought up rather than, you know, the deeper the deeper meanings of things. And and I think that's a lot of it is when couples only want their way and are not willing to be a little bit flexible, that's usually where they will run into the most conflict that builds. But I love in therapy when they when couples can actually see that even though you might think you're very, very different or have two opposing views with dialogue, I always say that the goal is not to resolve or solve every conflict because most, they always say most conflicts and relationships are perpetual. They're not situational. But it's being able to say, well, how can you at least get into dialogue, right? How can you actually hear? Because usually when you hear, usually when each person is able to take a little, even if it's a sliver of responsibility for their role in a conflict, once they hear, oh, you're taking responsibility and the other person sees the same, then they're able to say, okay, well, we're kind of on the same page. We kind of maybe both agree with, 
the other person's role. It's not the full role. But now can we actually see that we might have a lot of flexibility? And it's being able to say, well, maybe there's not going to be a perfect solution, but can we at least come to a resolution that works for both of us? And and it is, it's the slower pace. It's learning to talk about things. Also learning to continue conversations if, if needed. And not everything does need to be solved. But um, I always try to stress that it's not always just solving a problem. Because I hear that actually a lot in therapy. Like they just want to solve my problem. They don't want to just listen to me. But yeah, that's really the goal is being able to find areas of commonality and also areas of flexibility, because those are the area, those are probably the majority of the stuff they can work on. Yes. And validating that partner of, like you said, of when that partner feels like, okay, my partner is listening to me and they understand how I, how I'm feeling, whether it doesn't matter for right or wrong. It's just, I want that relatability of, you know, being vulnerable and my partner making me feel okay about having a feeling because you're allowed to have those feelings. And that's how you react to that. I think that's that's like vital. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, validation is huge. And a lot of times people miss the mark of validation as a form of connection because they immediately, a lot of times one person has such a hard time hearing the other person may be in pain or strain that they immediately go into problem solving mode, even if it doesn't even involve that person, like they might just be bringing up a, an outside issue. So it's really being able to say, you know what, let's slow down. Sometimes all they want to do is be valid. I mean, I think we all want to just be validated first and foremost. And I think another thing is asking permission, because sometimes even though people, when they try to problem solve or a partner tries to problem solve, it can be, while it might have good intention, it can be taken in the wrong way. So I always ask people like, maybe ask for permission. Just ask, you know, what, what is it that you want right now? Do you want a hug? Do you just want me to listen? Do you want to hear my viewpoint, feedback? my solution, so to speak. Um, so sometimes even just being able to ask and then being able to follow whatever the person says can be, can be huge. Yes. I've used, I use that same technique of, do you want me to listen or, or solve, you know, right. do you want just a lending ear or do you want me to help you in the situation? Cause that can help the person, you know, tell them what they need. And no, that- I, I found that to be huge as well. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, people coming into a relationship, they obviously come from different places. They, they're different people. They have different histories. What do you notice are some of those things, some of those learned patterns and behaviors from childhood, potentially even, that sort of get in the way or maybe even previous relationships that get in the way of their current relational functioning? What are some of those barriers and issues that come from the past? Yeah, I know. I mean, I think it's, come more into the spotlight nowadays, as far as just our attachments, you know, we hear a lot about attachment theory and just attachments, but I kind of just remind them. And that's, and I also tell them, that's why we kind of ask about family history. That's why that's where it really comes into play because I try to bring up and find out a lot of times if I see certain patterns, I'll ask when you were angry or upset as a child, how was that communicated in the home? Because sometimes I'll hear, oh, I was just told to, you know, suck it up and get on with it. And then maybe they're married to someone that was able to talk about problems and work on solutions, which is ideal, but I would probably say not common practice. Um, I think in our generation, it'll be more common practice. But I think back in the day, you know, adults that are being seen now, emotions weren't really something that was talked about. I mean, even the stigma of seeing a therapist was much higher in the past than it is now. So like I said, a little bit of is, is just the psychoeducation, but also but also, I don't want them to feel that I don't see this as my, because a lot of times they'll come 
into a session bringing up their their traumatic past. And I don't want them to feel like a victim. Um, so I definitely want to empathize. I don't want to like negate the pain that they might have gone through and the hardship. So I definitely want to validate that. But I also want to let them know that because of all of maybe the hardships they've gone through, now you're with someone that loves you, that wants to work on that. And I remind them that whatever, like anything, you can develop new habits. Um, the way we relate to others is nothing that's permanent. It's definitely something that can be changed. So I think sometimes they make, you know, the aha um, experience. Like I think I was just talking about the couple from this morning. She really realized that she'll bring things up when her husband's about to go to sleep. And I'm like, well, and then she gets angry. And I'm like, well, if he's half dead asleep, it's probably not the best time to bring up, you know, an important issue. But it, she was able to see that it was a way of her avoiding a deeper issue. You know, not not really wanting to talk about it because of the discomfort. So once I really find that once couples can see their hardship or maybe the, the reasons that they're not talking as much, um, once that awareness comes into play, then they, they're more likely to be aware in the moment and maybe push themselves, you know, push push themselves to discomfort. So, Nicole, you've given us such great insight already. Do you have any techniques that you commonly use with couples that you want to share? Yeah. I, and I think the biggest thing is I always try to let couples know that it's not a technique to use in the moment. Um, I think it's just more rituals. I mean, I talk about a lot of just rituals of connection, building friendship, but a few techniques I call, you know, well, I don't know if I actually came up the word, um, but I know, you know, we talk about a lot of weekly marriage meetings. So I like to say a state of your union, uh, an address. And so it's a way for both couples to find a day and a time. I say it's not negotiable. I mean, unless they're deathly ill, um, that they just have a time to connect for 30 minutes. Because ideally, I talk about how it's just the small little things every day. It's not the, you know, all the vacations and jewelry and gifts are nice. It's not what's going to make a strong relationship. It's the little tokens of appreciation. Um, so I always stress that and talk because a lot of times I'll ask each couple, did either of you... I, well, I, I will say just to backtrack, I mean, it's the importance of good documentation or at least documentation to follow up in the next session. So I will bring up, I usually will wait for them to bring up how their week was, but I'll ask them if they worked on things that I encourage them. I, I don't necessarily put it like it's homework because I don't want it to be, feel, you know, I don't want them to feel like it's, you know, kind of like the, the not so fun part of homework. But I want to also see is, is it's also a great time to a great thing to discuss is if they're not following through, why not? You know, that's a good barrier. If they are, I want to give reinforcement. But I always encourage, you know, the weekly um, marriage meeting, because a lot of times appreciation isn't given. So in this marriage meeting, um, it's a set day and time, I, they can talk about stuff that they appreciate stuff that went well, they can also talk about things that might be uncomfortable, whether it's finances or chores or kids. Um, I also encourage them. We were talking earlier about differentiation is do they have things um, that they want to an individuation? You know, do they have things that they're doing this week? Do they have doctor's appointments or just things they want to do outside of the marriage? But it's also a time for them to discuss, you know, what are we going to do for the marriage? Right. And I, I always say it's a nice thing. I have them end it either with a hug or a kiss or at least something, even if it's a fist pump, you know, just something, a little bit of affection, whatever they're comfortable at based on where the relationship is. Because a lot of these relationships, there is pretty much roommate syndrome, you know, no touch at all. So I don't want to pressure them. I want that to develop naturally. 
But I also let them know that this is all stuff that is science backed, that having a ritual of connection, discussing these things um, and ending with what can I do in the week ahead to, you know, to make you feel more loved, to make you feel happier. A lot of times it's that stuff to say, hey, we're working on things. And then the following week, you know, they're able to say, okay, well, how did we go? You know, how did things go last week? You know, what went well? What didn't go well? So I think self-reflection is key. I also like having these meetings to discuss the stuff, the tough stuff. So that way, if they are actually planning a date night, it can actually be a date night because often the date nights are the kids and the bills and all the stuff that stresses them out that it's not even something they look forward to. So I try to encourage an actual date night. Um, I try to also have them practice different ways to use I statements, different ways to soften the startup and let them realize like maybe when you start a conversation with you, 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 most of the time, you're not only not going to get heard, your probably partner is going to be defensive. So I think a lot of um, with marriage therapy, a lot of it is just communication skills, teaching them how to validate, I think is huge, teaching them to listen teaching them, you know, what are the areas that they agree on? Also teaching them how important it is to, even if there's, like we talked about earlier, being able to accept a responsibility. Um, I think that's huge because um, I think the biggest thing is allowing them to identify what they find is a flexible area and really let them see that some of the stuff that they are really focusing on is probably very small. It's, it's kind of like I play the 80-20 rule to relationships that, you know, it really probably, if you can focus on just the, the very small part that's probably contributing to the, you know, big discontent in the relationship will go a long way. But another thing, something that's simple, I say, can you go on a coffee date, right? Maybe they're not at that point, but if they're coming in for therapy, maybe even before they go to therapy or before they're even online or something, just to have a little bit of time, like, can they force themselves? Because usually it's a low stakes situation for them just to go out for coffee or even drink a cup of coffee at home since I really work, um, you know, in teletherapy, but just a little something to get them into the habit of communicating. Um, but yeah, overall, gratitude goes a long way. So I, I always let them know that the small appreciations that often get deducted as relationships mature, they never get old. So I try to just let them know how simple it really is to have a positive interaction with their partner. Those are great. Those are great skills. And it sounds like you really stressed uh, connection, commitment, and consistency. So I think those all yes. are really important. And then one more thing for our listeners. So um, how does a person know if it's time to seek out a couples counselor? What would be your kind of your pitch for folks who are maybe a little uncertain? I would say if folks are uncertain, I do think there's great resources out there. Um, so I'm, I'm all into personal development. I mean, there's great books. I always say to research, to try things. But the one, I guess, I don't know if it's a downfall, but I think if they're making that adjustment is the stuff that is out there is great, but it's not really, it's not individualized, right? It's a book is can serve millions. Um, so I let them say that if they really are having a, a tough time with their personal relationships, and maybe it's been like one cycle after, you know, one relationship after the other, kind of like the same problems. Um, I kind of do point out, I'm not, I'm not afraid of confrontation. I kind of let them know that the, in a nice way, but that the common denominator might be yourself, right? If you're seeing a lot of these issues. So 
I kind of just say that if it's more personalized, if it's something that you really haven't found useful or beneficial or applicable that you've read about, no shame in the game in seeking a couples um, counselor and talk about how common it is, right? How most people really, I'd say the majority, at least of my clients, they might not have all had a couples counselor before, but they've all, not they all, but the majority have honestly already had some sort of therapy as an adult. So I definitely stress that. There's so much value in that and all you said, and I love those weekly meetings. I love that so much for the, for the couples and you've given so much great insight and we want to thank you for joining us today. And we want to thank our listeners for spending this time with us. And until next time, we will see you then. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the counseling podcast with Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes. Please take this time to thank yourself for putting in the work. If this episode impacted you in any way, let us know with a loving and honest review. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation from today, you can reach out to us at thecounselingpodcast at gmail.com and we can answer your questions right here on the show. Or you can find Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes on Instagram at docjacqueline and at Dr. Jeremiah Stokes.